Welcome, everybody. This is Peter Ravella, and welcome to the Local Control Podcast. We are at the Galveston Island Convention Center at the American Shore and Beach Preservation uh, Association National Conference. We are on day three, and we have the pleasure to sit down with Scott Jones, the Director of Advocacy for the Galveston Bay Foundation, and uh, we're going to learn about the Galveston Bay Foundation today. Scott, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Good morning. I wanted to thank our sponsor, Dune Doctors, uh, out of uh, Pensacola, Florida. Dune Doctors is one of the premier dune and shoreline restoration firms that I know of. They've been around for 17 years. They're here at the conference. It's great to see them. Uh, but Frederic Barrasset, the owner of that company, does a fantastic job, super serious. So if you're a shoreline property owner, manage large properties, or are working with local governments and are interested in natural dune restoration with native dune plants, one of the best methodologies, I think, for shoreline response, uh, give our friends at Dune Doctors a call, uh, www.dunedoctors.com. Well, it's it, you know we we were fortunate enough to have the table next to yours in the exhibit center for the conference, but we had met previously uh, at the uh, Texas chapter of the ASBPA meeting, and I'm really a big fan of these organizations like yours that that serve such an important role on the American shoreline, and uh, I'm hoping we can you know walk walk our listeners down the path, talk about what the foundation does, what you do, what you're organization has been able to do so uh why don't you give us an overview what's the tell our listeners what the galveston bay foundation is sure happy to yeah the galveston bay foundation we've been around for 30 years now uh, we are a nonprofit organization a 501c3 uh, we're based actually up near uh, nasa um, that's going to be a temporary site hmm. um, we're actually going to be moving into new headquarters in the next couple years uh, on a site right on uh, the Kima shoreline one of the last undeveloped pieces of land so we'll be on the water and uh, we can get people out to the bay a little bit easier Um, but the Galveston Bay Foundation's mission is to preserve protect and enhance Galveston Bay for its current users and then for future generations and we pride ourselves on the fact that we work with everybody from all realms of stakeholder groups from Mm -hmm. other environmental organizations to fishing groups whether it's commercial or recreational, to business groups, to industry, uh, and then government at all levels, local, county, uh, state, and federal. Hmm. And so what you'll find is our board reflects that diversity. And I think when we're sitting down and we're talking, trying to find solutions to issues that face Galveston Bay, having those varied voices, trying to come to you know, the best solutions or to try to minimize negative impacts from projects, um, we have a really good uh, outcome usually. And a lot of people know us. If, it seems like if people know us, it's because they have heard about Marsh Mania, where we have these uh, annual, often twice a year, uh, community-based, volunteer-based uh, shore uh, marsh uh, restoration events where mm-hmm. people come out, whether they're kids or students or college students or whole families, and sometimes elected officials, they'll come out and they'll become marsh maniacs. They'll help plant marsh grass at sites that we've come up with in concert with federal government, state government, um, and private industry. 
So it's a really neat organization to work for, and I think Great. people respect us. Well, I think one of the things I like about Galveston Bay Foundation and why I wanted to sit down with you, you're the director of advocacy, Correct. right? And, and is the diversity of views that the organization uh, brings together. There are some you know, nonprofit environmental advocacy organizations can be pretty focused on we're here to protect the air quality. Uh, Galveston Bay Foundation, a little bit like what we're trying to do with the Coastal News Today platform is really recognize the diversity of economic and stakeholder interests that are engaged in the shoreline and having intelligent conversations about the trade-offs between these important economic interests and the environmental health of the Bay and how it's all connected. And you can't simply be one-dimensional in how you understand that problem. So on your board, tell us about your board. Who sits on that thing and what represent, what interests do they represent? Uh, well, as I mentioned, they represent every interest from boating groups to industry. Um, so you have the petrochemical folks have, on there? We have, yeah, we have petrochemical. We have um, the um, barge fleeting companies. Um, yeah. It runs the gamut. Um, and so anybody that uses the bay can find representation on our board. Mm -hmm. And that, and I think they also find it through the staff because of the staff, just like you said, we recognize that we have to communicate with everybody. We have a lot of diverse uses of the bay, and often they conflict, but sometimes we can find a compromise. You know, one thing we'll never do is we'll never compromise our mission to protect the bay, mm -hmm. but we won't we won't um, ever stop listening to others and see if we can either um, learn from them or or maybe they can learn from us. We can say, well, I know you need to do this port mm -hmm. project or this dredging project, but did you think about this? Correct. And that's kind of the way we work. Well, that's what the Local Control Podcast really focuses on is this sense of, of ownership at the local level and how that plays into the complicated trade-offs that happen mm -hmm. on... In, in managing, and I don't know, wouldn't say the managers of the bay, but that 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 help decide how the bay is going to be used. How can the economics of ports and waterways coexist with the shrimp, the bay shrimping industry, the recreational folks, um, all of it, the oyster lease people, all of this is in the same. This is the thing that 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 strikes me about what you do is. You're looking at a very contained geographic space. The Galveston Bay system, what is the square mile? What tells us about 600 square miles. It's about 30 miles long by about 20 miles wide. Mm -hmm. It's the largest bay in Texas. Uh, it's the eighth largest bay in the country. Hmm. Um, you know, certainly we're um, trailing Chesapeake Bay, which is the largest in the country. But this, this bay is so important. And, you know, besides the geographic footprint, um, fisheries are huge in Galveston Bay. Galveston Bay provides a third of the recreational fishing in the whole state. Really? And a, yes, and a third of the commercial fishing. And, you know, before Hurricane Ike hit and we lost a lot of our oysters due to sediment covering them up, hmm. prior to that, Galveston Bay produced more oysters than any other single water body in the country. Really? The whole state, yes, the whole state of Florida, I'm sorry, the whole state of Louisiana produced about 12 million pounds of oyster meat. The whole state of Florida produced about 3 million pounds, but Galveston Bay itself produced about 6 million pounds. I did so, not know that. Yeah. And, you know, whether, you know, and we we think oysters are so important, people either love them or hate them. 
You know, there's no middle ground with oysters. You know, (laughs) I'll take them in any form. I will too. I eat them like potato chips. Um, But they are a keystone species and they filter water, about 50 gallons of water a day. So that basically can clean up the water. And obviously it's a huge commercial fishery. So besides that geographic uh, part of it, it's huge for fisheries and recreation Mm -hmm. um, and birding. Birding is huge in the Galveston Bay Area and the whole upper Texas coast. In the hydrology of the bay, is it dominated by the Trinity River? Trinity River. Is the main freshwater inflow? About 60% of the freshwater inflow coming into the bay. Um, it's been a few years since I've had to think about that one, but it's about Sorry, 60% yeah. from the Trinity and about 20-something percent from the San Jacinto. Huh. And then the remainder is made up of all the other waterways. The bayous and Dickinson the, Bayou, Clear yeah. Creek, you name it. Well, the it's the interrelationship of all of these things. Freshwater inflow is critical on the oyster fishery. And the, and the thing that strikes me is that is what we ask this 600 square miles to do. This bay has to be the, the transportation corridor for the fourth largest port in the United States. That's I think right. the Port of Houston is fourth largest, the number one petrochemical port in the, I, I don't know if it's the world, but certainly it's in the top 10. I think it's like the, I think it might be top two <clears throat> as far as petroleum. And I think we're the second largest port by volume or tonnage Yeah, for, for foreign Goods. Yeah. yeah. So you've got the waterway. Then you have, and then you've got the, just look at the bay bottom, oyster mm-hmm. fishery. You've got the fin fish fishery. You've got the recreational. This is how I compare it. Would you put a national park on the median of an of a, of a interstate highway? Mm-hmm. Because that's what we do in coast, in the, in the, on the coast of the, of the United States. This is a major transportation area. It is a park. It is a food, it is a it is ag land, if you looked at this as a terrestrial, and all of this has to coexist on top of each other. Right. And what one sector and interest or stakeholder group is doing directly and immediately affects what everybody else is doing on the bay. And you guys are a forum where you get to talk about all of that. Exactly. Um, and that's why I'm really um, just happy to be able to work here. I'm lucky that I, that I get to work with different folks that are coming in with different viewpoints, but then we're trying to often we'll come to a good solution. And, you know, what we say is, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head, all these different groups. We just don't want one industry to kill another, whether that's, you know, the ports and shipping and Mm -hmm. and, uh, the petrochemical to harm the oyster fishery or the shrimp or, or the, the crab. And, Conversely, we don't want for those types of fisheries to completely preclude all these other important economic uh, drivers that we have around here. Right. I mean, so you got to find some kind of balance without compromising the protection of the bay. And so we, the main thing we do is we try to do it through communication. We may not always agree, but we're going to go about it in a scientific way. Everything we do is based on science. It's not emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have to bring emotion into it because people don't realize how important the bay is well they're passionate and passionate people and i think that helps the conversation yeah. it's i mean i would be interested to know are are the meetings generally i would assume very cooperative discussions but occasionally uh some differences of point of view come oh, up yeah, yeah. i mean you're not always going to get yeah in the in the in the board meetings you're not always going to get 100 percent agreement but after some you know uh, chance to 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 mull it over to talk it then Usually you'll find consensus, um, 
But I'll say one thing, going back to the passion part of it, a difficulty we have here uh, trying, to, trying to protect Galveston Bay gets back to people being aware of Galveston Bay. And just like hmm. me, I grew up in Houston, southwest Houston, and when I could drive, I'd come down to Galveston all the time, whether it was to fish or to surf or just hang out on the beach. I never really thought about the bay. We just crossed right. over the causeway. And so many Houstonians don't know the bay. And they may not even, when they're driving over it, they may not know they're driving over uh, Galveston Bay. They think they're hitting the coast, the, right. you know, the Gulf front, shore front. So that's the problem. It's not like Sanders. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you think it would be an obvious thing, but I think you're right. I, I, you know, people are headed to the beach. You know you come over this bridge. There's a big body of water, and you're like, yeah, okay. And it's I'm not like. My, I'm, you're, I'm on my way. That's I'm going, right. I'm going to go down and put my towel down. And it's not like there's tons of public access to the bay. Everything's privately owned. There, mm-hmm. there are some, you know, National Wildlife Refuges, some some parks, you know, Galveston Island State Park mm-hmm. on the backside. But most people aren't aware of it, so how can you appreciate it if you're right. not aware of it? And that's part of what your mission is, to educate the public about Correct. the value and the presence and what it does. Um, the, so you've been with the Galveston Bay Foundation 10 years yeah. as a director of advocacy. And not, so you guys, do, do you do an annual plan? You've got a planning process. You've got a, 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 a forum of interest that operates through the board. Um, and then you do on-the-ground projects. That's right. Lead, execute, marsh. How many acres of marsh have you guys Oh, done man. over the years you is know, there that, a number um, yeah there is if i can remember it if i, I wish i had matt singer or, or uh philip from our office with me right now to help me remember that number and right now i'm just drawing i think there's about um, as far as protection it's not just restoration mm-hmm. it's also protection through we actually will acquire land in the watershed like on west bay okay and then we also have conservation easements on right. land and I think the total I heard was about 15,000 acres wow. have been, through all these different methods, have been protected. That's fabulous. The the amount actually restored is smaller because it's such labor-intensive and it's dollar-intensive. So that, that amount is less, but it's still significant because not only do people, you know, when they're actually planting the marsh, they're becoming stewards of the bay. They take pride and ownership in that marsh. They help restore, especially if they come back yeah, a, you get a year your feet or two later. Muddy. Oh, um, it's a blast. Like, yeah. yeah we you get muddy you. and you get you get intimate with the environment and you're like, I know what a marsh is now and right. I know what Spartina is now. Right. And I've then they come it. back and they see all the birds and there's fish, the redfish love being around all these marshes. And so you're building building stewards. So it's educational, it's stewardship building, even you know, that, that impact is huge in addition to the actual direct impact of restoring water. So when we were coming down to the conference and coming across the causeway and over to the right (coughs) is the marsh complex that's Mm -hmm. along Interstate 45 Mm -hmm. that I was telling Tyler, I said, that is all restored marsh right there. Because when I was down here in the 80s, none of that was there. You probably remember the, the, all the debris that was over yeah, there and there terrible. was cars and all sorts of stuff it it's beautiful junkyard yeah i want to give you guys a lot of credit for the design and i know that's probably what who the engineers were but I, i've seen engineers who everything is a square and <laughs> it's, gotten to, they, it's gotten better it's gotten better it's trapezoids and boxes and right. this that marsh along interstate 45 yeah. that y'all have restored i know with in partnership with a lot of people yeah is a really nicely done project yeah that's actually so that one's actually scenic galveston another okay. great nonprofit. but we partner with them yeah we partner with all these groups work with each other and again we work with the state and federal agencies the ones that provide the funding and then nrg provides the plants but yeah so 
you'll see, um, like if you go look at um, Galveston Island State Park, if mm-hmm. you go back and look at Google Earth, you'll see rectilinear uh, berms that were built there where they did marsh restoration. Well, they've gone back since then and they pumped up these island mounds like right. you're seeing. The island mounds process. Yeah. I think that's a great yeah. approach. It, it looks, looks better. It looks better. I think it works better. I think the hydrodynamics are more complex. Mm-hmm. The edges are better. It, There's, you know, all of that is mimicking nature in a better way. Exactly. And so, smarter. yeah, and that, that gets into, you know, restoring marsh. I mean, that's a, it's an evolving science and it's gotten so much better. And then you know, now you're going to see not only that grass that you plant directly, but seagrass will recruit, will start growing in there because you've created the conditions that used to be yeah. there before all the uh, subsidence. That's and, right. You get the yeah. right elevation. And then this is connected to the oysters, this mm-hmm. is, which is a water clarity, mm-hmm. is a big deal in, in terms of the bay clarity. It, it, let me ask you this. In the in the 30 years that Galveston Bay Foundation has been operating in, in the area, mm-hmm. How do you rate the condition of Galveston Bay then versus now? Where are we? So some areas were better. Some areas were worse. And as a matter of fact, we do now we do an annual report card. And just to let you know, the overall grade for Galveston Bay is a C. Really? Within that, you'll see grades of A. And you might be surprised. Water quality gets an A because in the middle of the bay, you've got good mixing. It's shallow. And you don't have a lot of the direct or... You don't have the runoff from the land as close, and you don't have hmm. discharges. Right. And so the water quality is very good in the bay. But Interesting. If you, but if you go to the waterways, if you go to Buffalo Bayou, if you go to uh, San Jacinto River, lower portions of it, yeah, um, you're going to find lots of problems with bacteria. So you'll, right. you'll find the waterways not meeting their swimmable Right. Uh, Fishable, swimmable yeah. standards, their water quality yeah. limited listed. Yeah. Are they water quality limited officially Clean Water Act designation, 303D list, that sort of thing? Yeah. Did. So unfortunately, most of the waterways on the urbanized and suburban western side of the bay are on that 303D list yeah. that don't meet the standards, basically, right. or don't meet their designated uses. And designated again, that gets, uses, yeah. That gets back to that that swimmable part right but other waterways on the east side they're much better and then again the bay's good so water quality overall has gotten better okay, since that's the clean water act what else is a, a, a good news about galveston bay? Uh, oyster, or, or, i think well we don't know well, that, well oysters like one problem that we have is that when you're when you're putting grades you're trying to come up with grades you got to have a baseline to compare it against yeah and a lot of the data on how much oysters we should have out there, how much fin fish or birds or anything, we only go back, we don't go back that far before mm-hmm. man really altered things. So we can see a trend like, for instance, brown pelicans, they used to be on the endangered species right. list. Now they're they're great, so that trend's up. You're seeing some fin fish go up, and you know I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly which species. I think speckled trout has gone up. Conversely, you've seen large blue crab go down, adult huh. blue crab, and that could... We're, Scientists are still trying to figure out, but part of that could be uh, over-harvest. Part of that could be loss of habitat. Hmm. And so you're going to see these mixed results. I, I really encourage people to go to galvebaygrade.org, G-A-L-V-B-A-Y.org, and you can see those grades for the, yourself. Okay. And what I'll, the bottom line is water quality has gotten better since the advent of the Clean Water Act, and we really don't see the problems with discharges from industrial plants, right? Point source pollution. Point source is, pollution is all gotten better. It's gotten uh, better. It's all. It's all. It's all non-point mm-hmm. stormwater. Yeah. And you know, 
it's it's hard to look the city of houston is a big beast and uh there are two and a half million people in there and it's sprawling and uh the water hydrology of of the galveston bay upper regions is there's a lot of a lot of stuff coming in that's right and a lot of fertilizers and a lot of runoff and and, and it's that's hard. where we're they, having them. That's where the grade isn't as good because yeah. we get that runoff. And we have, we've got, what, 6 million people in the whole area. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah. So, wow. Cause, and it just keeps on growing. And so we're losing, yep. freshwater wetlands are getting hammered. The wetlands that are up, you know, um, in Fort Bend County, in Brazoria County, Galveston County, Harris County really got, is getting hammered northwest. They're, they don't get the protections uh, from the law anymore since some Supreme Court rulings. And so right. those, what they want to call the waters, isolated. Waters of the United States definition, yep. uh, Supreme Court case, they have to be hydraulically connected sort right. of thing. And so, yeah, these, and people don't realize that when you, you know, when you drive out to West, when you go out to Fort Bend County mm-hmm. out there and there's ranches and there's sort of this open space, but that's all changing out there that's changing I, you know i mentioned i grew up in houston i used to not i grew up in southwest houston we'd go just downhill croft road not too far we could go dove hunting we could go duck and goose hunting um and places where i used to hunt it's all homes and we all have to live somewhere my home in league city is probably sitting on prairie pothole wetland but i wish i had the chance to help the city decide where they wanted to subsidize growth, you yeah. know, or where they wanted to encourage or discourage it because we can do a lot better the way we develop. We don't have to pave over every square inch. We can we can build mm-hmm. around things. Well, and that's part of what the Galveston Bay Foundation conversation is about is, is because as a non-governmental organization, mm-hmm. um, you guys aren't the regulators. You don't get to write the rules of the game, uh, but you have a role in how the local decision process functions and how much do you let's let's talk about the engagement between the foundation and federal state local uh i I know that y'all i would just say this for the listeners out there i uh, i know you guys have taken a position on the coastal spine or what's referred to as the ike deck so the the organization does take policy positions oh yeah how does how what's your relationship like with the governmental world the actors who actually decide where development goes, what the setback standard is, what the, all of that is. Yeah, so it'll vary. It just overall, we we try to have a good relationship with all our federal elected officials, our local congressional delegation, and then our two senators through mm-hmm. trying to get to, to know them where we can, but often it's through their staff and their local offices right. and then in their D.C. offices. So I know every year or at least twice a year, our president, Bob Stokes, goes up to D.C. to go visit those mm-hmm. offices and to talk to elected officials about issues such as the coastal spine. Like, you hear it's going to be great, you know, but we're not, we haven't really discussed the costs that people aren't talking about, and that's the environmental costs. Yeah. It's only the only thing we've heard so far, and what we saw in the core draft environmental impact statement was the direct impacts to wetlands with, that would be impacted by the hmm. footprint of the levee, hmm. but we're not seeing enough about right. what's going to happen to those oysters and the shrimp and the fin fish and the crab because it's, they, they have to get in and out of the bay. You bet. And so, so we, 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 uh, meet with them. Uh, and then also certainly with our state, uh, state elected officials, we meet again with the local offices. And then at least once a year, we go to Austin to talk about Galveston Bay issues. 
And so it, it depends. We, we're trying to communicate. And we're trying to. Do you feel listened to um, in the process? And I'm, I'm asking that in the sense of, do you see, and this is a, a broad question, do you see decisions being different because Galveston Bay is at the table, the foundation is at the table? Well, we've had, well, so I can tell you like on a, uh, a more local level where it's easier to measure that and see that, we'll, we'll comment on the Corps of Engineers uh, uh, permit applications where someone wants to come yeah. in and fill a wetland. We'll, we'll go comment on that. And we've seen changes uh, and we'll see special language placed into the permit right. that Conditions. addresses. So, you know, percentage-wise, we some years ago we did a study, and I think we felt like we affected about 50% of the outcomes. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to tell because it's not just us commenting. It's also the state the, the state, local and agencies. fish and wildlife, and nymphs, and yeah, everybody yeah. else, EPA, the resource agencies, resource agencies comment staff. to the core. But the, the, there's the command and control universe, which mm-hmm. is sort of the government regulatory universe in affecting decisions or a permit or a permit condition. And then what I've seen really work is being at the table with the economic interests that do a lot of the actual mm-hmm. stuff and 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 influencing them in the design and the thought process that leads to the project is actually where the real impact i think occurs that's because true. you're educating them about look as you said if you do it this way it's going to have this effect on the other interests of the bay the environmental health and the, and the economic health derived from the health of the bay that's right well it's th- huge that's one part of our mission and it's Biologists will admit we're not the best at trying to quantify dollar-wise the value of different resources, and it's yeah. hard to do that. It's very hard. And but we're we're getting better, and just overall, we're trying to educate our elected officials and other stakeholders of the value of the bay. So that comes into play. That's helping. Um, and I'll get a broader example. I think getting to your point about getting better outcomes. Galveston Bay is actually a example for the whole country hmm. on the way we use materials that we dredge, you know, right. for our ship channels or our different uh, navigation channels. Um, and then we use it beneficially. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a group, there was a group called the Beneficial Uses Group. I remember it back when I was at the land office in the 90s. It the was bug. The bug. The bug, yeah. And, so uh, I remember the bug. Yeah. And you probably remember how we used to deal with that dredge material in the past you just open water dispose of yeah the and that creates all sorts of problems not only it clouds the water mm-hmm. you're covering up habitats but then toxicants you know yeah. like pcbs and toxins they cling to that sediment right so you don't want to just open water uh, dispose of that so instead they used it beneficially to build wetlands yeah and i think there's ways we can get even better about that mm-hmm. there's always a cost element but there's certainly use for that material so that's the kind of discussions that we have and and so we've had we've weighed in on that type of thing um different types of reservoirs like the old wallaceville reservoir we're weighing in obviously on the coastal barrier issue um how we deal with uh improving uh in quotation marks uh by use to to move water out of to keep people from getting flooded but at the same time not ruining the bayous and then increasing pollutants so it's a balancing act um always always a balancing it's just trying it's just trying to communicate and trying to get people to see things they may not have seen before so do you do you find uh the 
how's the Port of Houston do? When, when you talk to them about, look, we understand that you're going to add this new terminal. Mm-hmm. We know that we're going to go to 55 feet. We're going to you know, get ready for the Panamax ships, which affects the entire hydrologic profile of the bay. It, I mean, it's just, these are huge projects. Um, are they receptive? Do they, are they, do they work with you? Do they, how, how, how are ports, how are the Galveston Bay port interest uh, doing in terms of their project designs and their sensitivity to the issues that you care about? I, I think overall that's so much better, you know, before my time, I can't speak to what before my time, but my, in my time at the foundation, we've actually have a good relationship with the port as far as communicating with one mm-hmm. another. I mean, they have their mission. I mean, they, do. they have their mission. And we it's have legitimate. ours. It and is. it's important. It it's is a- legitimate. So like I've seen, for instance, <clears throat> you'll see the port, like they were going to do, um, some work on the Bayport Channel, and they were going to create um, really wetland islands to the west of the channel. Um, so this would be over in the Shore Acres area. Um, and the problem was where they were going to put that. Normally, would be all for that type of thing because sure. you know it's use, beneficial use. But it was going to be right on top of a um, important fishing area oysters and then recreational boating we also look out for recreational boating interest too. any users yeah. of the bay yeah so we put in comments we talked to them and they ended up changing that they went ahead right. and moved it over to the other side where you already have those yeah. types of um structures over there so that's they, what i that's what i think is the trick of the trade in in local control of these bay systems there's you know, we can go to the general land office who has the oyster lease program. They have a regulatory power. There's the EPA. There's all of the regulatory people. And that's a very cumbersome, generally confrontational, expensive, long-term way. Mm-hmm. And what y'all are doing is trying to get the port to say, listen, okay, great step in the direction of beneficial use. But if we look at the other interests and the effects, is there a better way? Exactly. And, and then... That, they, they can still fulfill they can, their role, right? Which is and, yeah the key to the the key to it is to recognize the economic legitimacy, and I tell you when it doesn't happen, and I and I would say Tyler and I have talked about this, and uh, it will be a big subject on the the Catch Curve podcast, which is a fisheries podcast with Robert Jones. It's going to be really great. But we're talking a lot about red tide in Florida. Mm-hmm. And here is a case where I think the economic interests are out of balance. You've got upland land applications of certain chemicals, fertilizers, whatnot, uh, driving or contributing to, I think we can say contributing to, yes. the cause and effects are a little d- debatable, but contributing to this massive red tide event that has been pummeling the Florida coast. That's been sad the, to see. It's and devastating the fisheries, destroying the uh, hospitality industry, driving down l- local uh, government revenues in the terms of their hotel occupancy tax proceeds, which are critically important in all kinds. Of I mean, yeah. this is what I'm talking about. Is that's is, where one industry may be right harming you, another. Do you have? I mean, there's not a lot of ag in. Is there? What, what is? Is there an ag industry in Galveston? We got Houston. Really, there, there used to be a bunch of you know rice farming. That's and right. That, and unfortunately, because I come from a family of farmers in East Dude. Texas. Yeah, yeah. My my grandparents grew tomatoes and peas and stuff in East Texas. Mm-hmm. My dad was born in the farmhouse, so I love farmers. Mm-hmm. And rice farming, besides producing that important food. Those were also pretty good waterfowl areas. Right. And then, they were. you know, they would 
actually had some you know retention of the water so it could be clean and then other and they could also release that water in times of drought where the bay could use some water so but we've lost a lot of that and it just like everything everything's going from ranches and farms to you know more subdivisions big warehouse facilities and so we don't have as much ag we certain chambers county has a lot of ag Hmm. and so we will try to work with them and there's other lots of really good groups working with agriculture interests probably more so than us but we our conservation easements we work with those landowners where they can still yeah. be uh, ranchers and they can be farmers but yeah. then they slightly go. change things yeah so the water running off their land is better so it helps the bay and then they provide habitat because as a biologist everything's connected so um and i may have lost my train of thought here but well we're talking uh, about about the agricultural yeah. impact and how it affects the bay system and right and it's more the suburban and urban runoff is the problem as far yeah. as the, yeah. Well, the, uh, let's talk a little bit about how you guys connect to, well, for, I have a couple of questions. One, do you get over to the Brazos River Delta? Do you go that far over? No. Um, well, go ahead. Ed. Well, what, what's your scope of interest? I guess the six, obviously the bay itself, but how far up and down the shoreline so, do, so we, do we cover here? Our, so we have a couple areas of operation the the closer area of operation as far as trying to protect habitat or restore habitat reduce pollution are the counties around the bay in what we call the lower galveston bay watershed so that's on the trinity river uh, south of lake livingston and then that's on the san jacinto south lake houston Um, and so basically it's um, chambers galveston liberty a little bit of liberty um and then um, certainly Harris County, uh, mm-hmm. Montgomery County, a little bit of Fort Bend, and Brazoria County. Hmm. I think I got them all covered. Yeah. But as far as another big thing, you know, you mentioned earlier about the freshwater coming in from the rivers. Um, that freshwater inflow and making sure we have water continuing to come down to the bay, that expands our area of operations all the way up yeah. past Dallas-Fort Worth. We can't obviously get up there as much, but we work <coughs> with those stakeholders up there too. To see what we can do to make sure water still comes down yeah. that basin to the bay and at the right time and I at mean, the right time I mean, in the right amounts. I mean that. So in in the bay sh- uh, fishery commercially, mm-hmm. shrimp, um, oysters, what crab, crab, fin fish. Yeah, yeah. So the biggies are oysters, uh, shrimp, and crab. Okay, and you know. Um, Oysters will take some time to rebound from Hurricane Ike um, if we allow them to um, build. You know, if we if we take better care of the bay, um, if we help create um, more restored oyster reefs, that will get better. And keep in mind, you know, people will, people are saying that you know we have to protect the bay from a hurricane, and they try to point to the oysters. And while it's true that we did lose a lot of oysters due to sediment being covering them and that right. came over from the storm surge, in a natural situation that wouldn't have happened. Our, our, our oyster reefs don't have the natural uh, profile that they the used to. They they're used flat to. because they get harvested. Yeah. And so they're more susceptible they're to not, burial. To burial. But um, so um, those, yeah, but it's the oysters and the shrimp is huge. And again, the crab and then fin fish. Hmm. Um, and so those are important commercial fisheries and certainly recreational fisheries. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. 
Yeah. And, and all the businesses that depend on that. Right. The fish processors, but all the bait. I mean, the, 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 this is what I think. And look, we're at the American Shore and Beach Preservation Conference. And I was mm-hmm. talking to a couple of folks yesterday and I said, you know, and we've been coming to this for a while. And, and I'm thinking economic forces on the American shoreline. Let's see. Let's start with real estate. Let's go to shipping. Let's go to fisheries. I mean, in other words, this is part of the problem that you guys solve, I think, or at least address, which is we tend to get into our own silo. Mm -hmm. And in this conference, we're talking about beach restoration and shoreline management. Some marsh restoration, living shorelines is a deal, but it's the engineering, the hydrology, uh, the funding is certainly can be talked about. But when we're having a a conference of the national, uh, you know, the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, I'm thinking, Where's the real estate people? Yeah. You know, because let me tell you how the shoreline is going to be affected by real estate. And we all know it's powerful. We all know the economic force of shipping in waterways, which is critically important to the United States and all of the bays, major bay systems in the United States. We have to talk to each other better. And I think that's what that's why I wanted right. to talk to you, Scott, is, is because I think we get comfortable in our spaces and it can get so technical and so deep that you just go deeper and deeper down in your silo and you forget, oh yeah, I forgot about the, the yeah, the waterway. Oh, there's a billion dollar waterway right. right here. I'm in the middle of the biggest port highway in the damn Gulf Coast of the United yeah. States. Well, <laughs> we, we forget. We, yeah. and it seems obvious, but we do. We do. And I tell you what we need is we need our elected leaders to lead. They're the ones that need to engage and understand all sides of an issue mm-hmm. and try to do the best they can to protect care of their constituents, but to also protect the environment because it doesn't have to be an either or you can find can some, be. you can find some good solutions and we've, we've seen them. I, I've given examples. Yeah. And I have more examples. We had more time. I could give you plenty of other examples mm-hmm. of better outcomes through communication, but we need those leaders to lead the way because we're up against some big challenges here. I mean, let's talk about the Ike Dyke, or I guess we are now calling it the coastal spine. Coastal barrier. Uh, the coastal barrier. Yeah. And so what happened for listeners who aren't in Texas uh, is the Corps of Engineers came out with their alternative, their preferred alternative. On Friday. Uh, on Friday, so a week ago today. Mm-hmm. And I did not realize until I uh, talked to the Corps staff here that this is the NEPA document. Correct. This is the environmental impact. I said, you got... Having prepared a couple of those things, those are usually two or three year exercises. And let me tell you, there's a whole lot that goes into it. I said, this is, I thought this was sort of like a, here's the ideas we like. This is actually, we are in the NEPA process and the comment period on this thing is 75 days. January 9th is the- Is that the deadline, January 9th? January 9th. Okay. So I'll be, I'll be looking at it over Thanksgiving <laughs> turkey and oh, man. whatever I eat for Christmas. Uh, is the public input process adequate? Um, it's better than it would have been. Originally, the, the Corps was proposing a 45-day comment period, which is nor- longer than, I think, a standard 30-day period. Yeah. But we, we and other um, nonprofits, we have a little consortium of nonprofits that care about the Bay through different, looking at different aspects of it. Right. But we asked for um, a 90-day public comment period. Well, we ended up getting a 75. So we're happy about that. Okay. But... 
And, and I know the Corps is going to have a series of public meetings, so that's very good. I think that's good. They do need to add one in Bolivar. I've had some Bolivar people contact me. I mean, they're the ones that the are— The spine goes over to the peninsula yeah, over there. Yeah, a lot of them will be in front of that levee, and maybe all of them in front of that levee if the alignment yeah. behind the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway is selected. So I think they need to have it. I think it could always be better. Because, well, I think the problem is the way we do projects in this country is— Instead of a long time ago when, or maybe even right after Ike hit, instead of coming up, okay, this is a solution, Ike Dyke's a solution. Instead, we had the, the scientists and the engineers and the um, different stakeholder groups coming together to talk about the issue of storm surge damages and risks, but also talked about potential unintended consequences right. to the bay and so instead what happened was we got this ike dike idea pushing that we were told that this was going to be the solution yeah it would take care of the problem everything's good they right. do it in the netherlands and we'll have this beautiful dune system yeah. and, and that didn't happen you know and and it what the alternatives that the Corps has evaluated have to do with the position location of the barrier correct and i would assume i haven't looked at the document yet i'm, I'm going to dive into it but as you're saying, the scoping of an EIS or a NEPA document typically would involve what are the alternatives that we wish to consider to attack the problem that we're addressing right. and a broader slate. But this this thing caught a lot of wind after Ike because of the yeah. devastation. And uh, and we know over at A&M at Galveston, uh, Dr. Merrill is a fine uh, design and, and uh, engineer. And I think this is, a, I'm not saying this is a bad idea, and I know they've been back and forth to Holland several times to think right. about these gates and everything. And But this seems stunningly quick to me, given the scale. And I'm not just talking about the financial scale. This is a 25 to $30 billion project. It could very well, who, do, who knows? It's actually, so what, in the court, I read, I Did, read okay, through 500 pages on Friday very Did quickly. You, okay, <laughs> give us the lowdown, because I have your head of me. Okay, so what they ended up selecting was, and real quick to back up, so you okay. had these different, proposals, ideas. One was certainly Dr. Merrill's uh, at A&M Galveston, the mm -hmm. Ike Dyke. And then there was a group called the Gulf Coast Community Protection Recovery District, the six counties yeah. uh, in the upper Texas coast, their, ju their county uh, uh, judges. And then um, a, a consulting firm, they looked, they looked at it. And then the S Speed Center, the right. Severe Storm Protect Protection and Evacuation from Disaster Center Rice, Rice Jim Blackburn, Phil Bedient. Yeah. They were looking at different things. And so we had these basically these three different groups. Hmm. And so there was quite a few alternatives that the Corps ended up looking at. Okay. They ended up looking at five. Thank you. five all, it was five alternatives. Okay. So th this process has been going on for three years already. Right. I believe that's right. Three years. Yeah. I've, I've, I've looked yeah. at you know, the Speed Center, top quality group of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Corps of Engineers does a great job with their evaluations, but you're right. This is the document is the fruition of those discussions right. that have been pretty yeah. pretty big. And and the thought of uh, coastal or storm surge protection been going on a long time. And so there's there's not only those, but there've been prior studies by the Corps. I don't mm -hmm. know to what extent they've been completed, but the bottom line is the Corps took pretty much all those alternatives with one exception they didn't and i couldn't exactly answer why it could be a timing issue or it could have been they heard negative feedback from one of the resource agencies i can't say i think it's more of a timing issue the one they didn't look at was the speed center's mid-bay alternative really? which differs from their the core's mid-bay alternative and you can see this when you go look at the documents yeah. but 
So they did look at these different alignments, and um, there was, as I mentioned, there were five of them. And um, the GCCPRD, which that Gulf Coast Six County Group was very, they were they have a lot of influence because the the governor had put that group together after Ike, hmm. and then our elected officials, our our congressmen and senators said, "Core, you will you will look at that GCCPRD." Great study that's a lot great. and that's great to look at it is studies great. well and at least it's a local here's the local alternative being developed right with, with a pretty formal process that engages all the judges of six the six right. counties on the bay that's a great thing to see it's good there were limitations though they didn't have that much money the gcc prd only looked at two alternatives hmm. which end up being the two alternatives that the core ultimately looked at in more detail and that was um an alignment that we're seeing through the courts called alternative a and basically it's a levy running from north of high island uh then down bolivar peninsula there'll be a huge series of gates and bolivar roads where most of galveston bay foundation's concern comes into play right. across the mouth of galveston bay yeah so that's which a, is a mile and a half wide it's right ten thousand almost eleven thousand okay, feet so yeah so two miles two miles wide and um, wow. and then it ties into the existing seawall right and then new levees a new levee would be built from the western end of the seawall. It would cross FM 3005, the yep. highway going down the island. There would be yep. a big gate there for the road. And then it would run behind FM 3005. On We're the bay side. On the, yeah, on the bay, bay side, side of, of the 3005. road. So, yeah, so that's about a 17-foot high levee. There's a lot of wetlands right there. There is. Um, the footprint of the thing would be anywhere. I've heard I've heard a variation, and, and I know this will all be defined a little bit more. Yeah. But, again, we're being asked to comment on something where we don't have all the. There's not a lot of details. Yeah, not as, not as much as we'd like. I, I mean, I, I thought, mean, I think they've. Okay, but let's yeah. let's just answer one question. How yeah. tall is the levee? About seventeen feet. Is it? 17? But it could be higher. Could be. They're, up to they're 20. doing what's called optimization. Right. I, I've heard anywhere from seventeen to twenty-one feet, uh, maybe a little bit more in some places. I can't say for sure. Okay. They're 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 also talking about raising the seawall a little bit. Correct. The seawall is fifteen, is it not? Seventeen. It, oh, it's already seventeen. It is. Okay, so you know, I just the footprint issue, and if it's if it's a levee construction, let's say down the west end of the island, and then also in Bolivar behind Highway 87 or behind the Gulf Rim Coastal Waterway. Wow, you know, the it, it, to get to 17 feet, it depends. I think the the elevation over on Bolivar, something like six, maybe base, something in that. that. So we're talking about a 10 mm -hmm. foot structure. You know, it's going to be 100 feet or more. Probably. It's going to be at least, base, at, base least width. at least 300 feet. But I've, uh, wow. some studies I saw earlier, and we actually did a Freedom of Information uh, Act request to the Corps and to Fish and Wildlife. So we were able to kind of see these alignments, where they were going to go before it was made public. Oh, okay. And so it varies. Some areas will be, you'll see 300 feet, but I'm thinking I might be underestimating a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe, but I'll, they're good at their engineering. They're, they're good at building things. But other areas are narrow because it'll also be flood wall. It's not all right. earth and levee. Some right. areas you have flood wall. And like in New Orleans, you'll get yeah you'll get, you'll a get, T wall. You get yeah. a T wall, and and so those are narrower. Correct. To, get to the height, um, this is a major major investment, and at least ten years of construction. Is that right? Yep. Ten years. So um, another. So the earliest they can get the final report done, their schedule is twenty twenty one. All right, we're on the three 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 deal here. Well, they get they got a they got a uh, <laughs> exemption, exemption from that because it's such a yeah that's yeah. that three million or three inches three chapters three 
Yeah, three, three years, three. Yeah, I can't remember it all, but basically, <laughs> three hole punches. This, this, I forget. There's no. It's three. It's three years, three million dollars, and uh, three inches. It was a size part, right? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Um, I mean, I think that what they were trying to do is speed up the process, yeah. but this doesn't fit within that container. That's it. Does saying. not. It does not. And so, <clears throat> go back to what you said. This is what's called the draft integrated draft integrated feasibility study hyphen draft environmental impact statement. Okay. So it, it is part of the NEPA process. Yeah. And um, hmm. the problem is I looked at this environmental impact statement. I looked at some of the applicable appendices, and I'm just seeing a listing of what could happen to Galveston Bay, impacts to changes to the amount of water that can flow in and yeah. out of the bay, the changes to the tidal range or the yeah. height, yeah, um, and then changes to the velocity of the water. Right, the whole tidal prism, the whole hydrodynamics of the bay. Exactly. It, it, for the lay people out there, think of taking a water hose and constricting it. Mm-hmm. You're going to have less water. You're going to have higher velocity. And right. so, so they show that. And what that means is changes to the salinity. Yeah. Changes to how much time water stays in the bay, which can yeah. mean more Resident pollution. Time. Residence yeah. time is going to increase. And uh, the biggie, um, one thing we're really worried about is the movement of the larval fish, shrimp, and crabs. Because shrimp go offshore, they lay eggs, they they uh, are hatched, and then they turn into little larvae. they got to make it back into the yeah. bay. And so we don't know. Nobody yeah. knows. There's no studies. I was talking to some of the experts here. They, they know that there's not enough studies on impacts. So we're worried about direct impacts to our fisheries through the sure problems of the migration of well, the fish this is what we're talking about is that larval recruitment which, which is a tidal flow process as you're saying in terms of crab shrimp all of these species which are a commercially important but b uh ec- recreationally, recreationally and, and, and the health of the bay right mm-hmm. and it's it's again the fact that there isn't anything you can do on the american shoreline of this scale that isn't going to reverberate through every other section of every other stakeholder group every other interest right and the, the thing I like about what you guys are doing is it's not simply, I mean, we talk about environmental health and I'm an environmentalist. I, I think that is an okay thing to do. The yeah. broader understanding of that for me is that the, is, is to connect the economic uses of the Bay to the, that are dependent on environmental health because we, because it becomes a more human conversation then it's a matter of what are the economic trade-offs of this? It's not simply a matter of, we care about larvae and who cares about a crab larvae. That's not the issue. Mm. What we're talking about is an entire industry and a culture and a and the health and how those organisms work together in the overall. Ba- All of this right. is so intricate. And, uh, you know, when I think of, and I appreciate that the Corps extended the, mm-hmm. the time, and I understand that the lead-in to the feasibility study EIS is, was years, but... I, Having gone to a lot of core presentations over the years, I've seen the same lines, you know, on the map for years. And, and there's just not a lot of information in it. Right. Uh, I'm sure there is now. There's more. 75 days, it, it would take you 30 days to read and index a thing and try to understand what's in it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a month of several people. Yeah. Of, I, I just don't think it's enough time. It's, it's not. And, you know, who knows what happens from here. I, I'm, I'm hoping... Um, on the podcast to have a regular show where I get together with local people to talk about how's the process going, what are you seeing and learning, 
Um, and just almost like I was telling somebody, it's like, we should do like Monday night football. The guy's up in the box. We're going to look down on the field and we're going to talk about what's going on in the game. That's we're right. Talk about, Hey, I, I, this seems to be getting fair treatment or I think that's a I mean? great because idea. Because it's so it's, first of all, getting into the hearing process with the core is not easy. And it's just would be great to have a more mm-hmm. a consistent, we should think about that. Yeah. I, I think that's a great idea because this project has the potential to harm Galveston Bay in ways it may not recover from. We don't know that yet, and that's mm-hmm. the problem. We don't know. Right. Um, but we're really worried about it. We've seen changes in the Netherlands. People will tell you that everything's fine in the Netherlands. That's not true. Hmm. There are changes. You know, I mentioned the changes. We talked about changes to the tides. You're talking about changes to where sediment falls out. Yeah. Some areas are going to get eroded. Some are going to get more. They yeah. lost intertidal areas. And the thing is, in the Netherlands, it's it's hard for people to answer the question because there's so many different variables because they also fill land they change they dam their rivers they right. they're doing they're doing what they need to do to protect their people but there's right. been unintended consequences and that's all we're saying let's make sure we get this thing right yeah and let's <clears throat> we this is forever so right. we need a, we do need more time and it also gets back and I don't think this is gonna change anytime soon but we got to get to a better way of how we evaluate or how we address problems Hmm. and it needs to get more people to the table at the beginning right so we don't end up pushing something that's a magic bullet but we don't know what other damage it may cause yeah and i scott i really appreciate the time and i think this is definitely a conversation we're going to have to continue over the coming months and you know it'd probably be a two-year thing we can talk about but it's it's massive and it is whether Here's one thing we can all say at this point. There's a lot of unknowns, but here's what we do know. It is absolutely going to change this bay in a significant and measurable way. The it only will. question is to what extent and, and, and can we take a shot at anticipating that and do the things that you guys were talking about with, with the Port of Houston? Can you just move the beneficial use mm-hmm. site to the other side? Because, boy, that just worked out great. That's a nice, simple, clean example of that. We understand there has to be surge protection. We understand the value of the right. bay. We understand the petrochemical industry. We own to the port. All of this matters. We understand the flood risk. We got that. The question is, can we tackle that in a way that doesn't have this? We don't want the unintended. It's how do you miss the fact that red tide is exploding and wrecking the Florida coast? I mean, this is the this is when you don't take the time to think through water policy or water management, the reverberations, and this is going to reverberate. The question is, can we get the best deal out of that? Yeah, you nailed it. We've got to get out of those silos, like you said. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time. The director of advocacy for the Galveston right. Bay Foundation, thank uh, you Scott so Jones, much. and uh, and. Thanks for being on the Local Control Podcast. We hope to have you back. Thank you. Love this forum. Thank you very much.